Thank you. Well, tonight we are in the Old Testament, and uh, actually look at this, chapter 10, verses 1 through 39, and think, oh my, is he going to read all that? Well, actually, I'm going to read some from chapters 8, 9, and 10, so it's grace if we go from eight, nine, chapters 8, 9, and 10 to chapter 10, but don't worry, I'm not going to read that. And I thought about 10 verses from chapter 10, but I think for our reading, I just really want to read a single verse in uh Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 38 and I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of God's word as I read from his word in view of all this we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing and our leaders our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it let's pray thank you father for your word and Fathers, we take time tonight to look at the importance of honoring our vow to you, God, of walking with you. Speak to us, Lord. May we hear from you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, This guy bought a parrot, and he got a really good deal on the parrot. The problem was he didn't realize why he got a good deal on the parrot. When he got home with the parrot, he found out that this carrot, carrot, (laughs) parrot, it would be a problem talking carrot. <laughs> but this parrot had a problem with vulgarity. Matter of fact, about all he said was cuss words. He was so frustrated with this bird because it just cussed and cussed and cussed. And he, he yelled at the bird, you got to quit this cussing. you got to learn some words that are respectful. But that didn't help. It just made the bird mad and he just cussed all the more. So finally he grabbed it by the neck and he threw it in a cabinet. But that didn't help. He heard the bird in there scratching and cussing away. He thought, what am I going to do with this crazy bird? So he took the bird by the neck and he threw him in the freezer. At first the bird was cussing away, but then the bird got quiet. And he thought, what is going on? So he opened the freezer and the parrot was shivering, but he flew out and he landed you know, right on the, the shoulder of his owner. And he said, I am so sorry. Excuse me for my horrible language. I have been so disrespectful and I don't deserve your forgiveness, but please forgive me. And the man was just like, "That you're forgiven, that's great. And he said, I just have one question though, the parrot asked. What did that chicken in the freezer do? <laughs> Ouch. That parrot thought, uh-uh, uh-uh. As we look uh, this morning, I, I want to just go through a couple of verses. Nehemiah chapter 8, go back a couple of chapters. This is an amazing section of scripture. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we find Ezra, as he reads the scripture, and he's reading it for hours at a time throughout the day. And, and this is amazing to me. Look at verse 3 of chapter 8. It says, he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now, this is amazing. It's crowded with God's people, with the Israelites, the Hebrews. And the scribe is reading from the book of the law. But what caught my attention, it didn't say a few It didn't say there was talking in the crowd and there was chattering. But it said that everyone listened attentively to the book of the law. 
when does that happen? My point is, obviously, the presence of God must have fallen upon that place. And hearts were moved and hearts were touched. And, and suddenly the people had a fresh understanding from God as the book of the law was read. Matter of fact, drop down to verse 9 and it, it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. What had happened is they heard God's word and they thought about their own lives. They were swept by conviction. The truth of their lives and the truth of God's word didn't, didn't come together. And so they were broken and they were weeping. And I love this as you go on further in the text here. You know, they, they could, Nehemiah could have said, Yeah, y'all deserve it. Y'all feel bad because y'all are a bad lot. But that's not what he said. <laughs> Look there in, uh, as it goes on, verse 10. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. <laughs> the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat, drink, send portions of food, celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. It's amazing to me that when the word became true to them and their hearts became heavy, the counsel given to them from God's servant who was speaking under the Spirit of God was don't grieve, don't get weighted down, don't be beaten up. This is a time to celebrate because there is a God who loves you. There's a God who forgives you. And His truth is to give you an opportunity to change and find His mercy. Find His mercy. Um, then you come into the next chapter and in verse 29 of chapter 9. Uh, this is part of a prayer as they have been sharing the truth. And, and um, it, it says talking about God's people in the past. It says, You warned them to return to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. It says, For many years, God spoke the truth and they were just stiff-necked. They were hardened. They didn't want to hear it. They turned against God. But, but now is the time where the people are gathered. God's spirit, God's mercy is present. And they are listening attentively. And they are broken over their sins. And we come to the end of the chapter here. And, and because they're broken, they said, This is a binding agreement. We want, to, we want to follow you, Lord. We want to love you. There's power in agreements. In, in Exodus 24, the people say um, that they are going to do everything the Lord has said, but in less than six weeks, they had built a golden calf and were worshiping it. That's what happens with vows. In Mark chapter 14, verse 29, Peter promises, Lord, even if everybody else falls away, I will not. I will stand by you and you can trust me, Lord. Then we get down to verse 71 of Mark 49. It says, he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Vows that so often are not kept. Why? What's importance of vows? A couple things here just quickly before we get into these four areas. 
First, they help us to focus. With a vow, it's one thing to say, I'm going to invite somebody to church or I'm going to tell somebody about Christ. It's something else to call them on the phone and say, hey, can I take you out to lunch? And then just ask them, how, how are things going? And to listen with a real concern. And, and then when you see an opportunity that, that's a God moment, to be able to share with them and to say, you know, God, God loves you. I know there's some tough times, but he's able to help you through this. And look for those opportunities, not just to hit them with you know, Scripture, but to look for opportunities that make sense just to share how God's blessed you and how they can find a blessing with the Lord. Uh, a second, vows allow us to express our love. That's why when couples make vows during a marriage ceremony, it's a chance to express their love till death do us part. In Jeremiah chapter 31, 32, it talks about how the people broke their vows before the Lord. Then in verse 33, beautiful scripture, he says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then, of course, Jesus said, I'm going to make a new covenant. It's going to be in my blood. It's the covenant of the gospel, the grace, the truth, the hope that we have. It's beautiful stuff. Now, we're going to march down here through verse 29 through 39 of chapter 10 and look at four vows that are given. In verse 29, there's submission to God's word, a decision they made to submit to God's word. Look at verse 29. He says, All these now join their brothers, the nobles, bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God. They said, Lord, we want to we really walk with you, Lord. When we learn from your word, we don't want to just mark our Bibles. We want our Bibles to mark our lives. I love what it says in Second Chronicles sixteen or First Chronicles sixteen nine. Um, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. In other words, God looks around. The eyes of the Lord in the King James, from which I had memorized this, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose hearts are committed to him. In other words, his, he's looking around for people who love him. And love means I'm going to obey him, do what he says. So there was a commitment to that word, and it, it just goes to devotion. That's his heart. He's looking for devotion, commitment. Uh, William Booth, who's the one who founded the Salvation Army, God was working through him, and someone asked him, what is the secret to, to God using you in such a way, William? And here's what he said. God has had all that there was in me. There have been men with greater brains than I. But from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and caught a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with me and then on that day I made up my mind that God should have all of William Booth there was. A, co- a commitment to his word that was a commitment to give all of me to him. Second was a separation from the world. Look in verses 28 and 30 of the scripture here. He says, the rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, it says they all were separated. They separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and their sons and daughters and all who were able to understand. And we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take the daughters for our sons. There was a separation from the world around them. They were to be set apart for God. And that was a sign of their devotion. Not that they were some kind of super people that were better than everybody.
but they wanted to wanted everybody to know that I, I don't live for this world. I live for God. There was a a, a vow to God that I'm going to live a separate life. I don't. I don't want to be like just everybody around me. I want there to be a holiness. I want there to be a purity. I want there to be something about me that's different, and that's God. That was the call. That was the devotion. Uh, it's interesting as you look in the scriptures here. Uh, there was a call here not to intermarry with other people, and a couple of reasons. First, you know, just biblical warning. Listen to Joshua twenty three thirteen. Uh, it pretty much talks about um, heathen spouses would become snares and traps. The scripture says snares and traps for you, whips on your backs, thorns in your eyes. <clears throat> in other words, there would be trouble there. And then secondly, uh, there was historical evidence as you look through the history of Israel that their hearts were turned away when they married into families that did not follow God. And, you know, the scripture talks about not being unequally yoked. And, and basically, and there's nothing that is as important as having someone that you spend your life with that loves God like you do. Now, I understand that, that there are people who are married to um, spouses who don't love the Lord. But what a joy it is when your spouse loves the Lord. And that's what the call was about, to have that in their lives. Um, in the New Living Translation, this is First Peter 3, verses 2 and 3. He says, Your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. They will be won over by watching your pure godly behavior. Talking about those who are not married to a believer. This will live for Jesus before long. <laughs> that that difference is shown. That you're, you know, that you're different. That God's in you. That separation, which is so, so important, um, so critical. Third, uh, a vow to for the Sabbath for God's people to pledge themselves to submit not only to God and to live separated lives, but to observe the Sabbath. Look at verse 31. He says, uh, When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. A um, couple of things here about the Sabbath. First of all, the Sabbath was a day to honor God. People work hard. People are busy, and it's always been that way. And God said, I just want a day where you honor me, where your focus is on me, where you're not diverted a bunch of directions, but that you can really give your attention to me and not be distracted. Secondly, it's a day of rest. You know, we're called to rest. Uh, I, I, and I've shared it a lot, but I remember one preacher saying years ago, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. And, you know, there's great counsel there. Exodus 20, verse 11, except not during the sermon. Okay, no. <laughs> Exodus twenty eleven. he rested on the seventh day as God um, gave the example. Maybe you heard the story of the two guys that were having a contest splitting wood. And one guy was working really hard, and the other guy seemed to take a lot of breaks. But the strange thing was, the guy that was taking a lot of breaks was winning. And he ended up winning the contest. And the guy said, he's pouring sweat, the guy that lost. He said, I don't know how in the world you won. You kept stopping and taking breaks. And I worked straight through as hard as I could go. He said, what you didn't notice was that as I stopped to rest, I was sharpening my axe. And that made the difference. And we need to do that. We need to get before God and let him sharpen our lives uh, in that time. It makes a difference. 
Thirdly, it was a day to help others. Another important thing about the Sabbath was not only, you know, everyone was mandated to rest, and that helped everybody because uh, the rest of the week people were rested, not grumpy. And <laughs> there's value in that with people resting. And then fourth, uh, it was a day to declare God's truth, to get spiritually fed, a day to be before God and to be rejuvenated and renewed and strengthened for the week that was ahead and, and to grow together with God, with other people, not just you, but be surrounded with other people that love God. It's a special day. And, and notice also the sabbatical year as mentioned in 30. Verse 31, he says, every seventh year, notice the two things here. One, we will forego the working of the land. So there was land that was not worked, but was given rest. So that it also could heal and be more fertile when it was used. And they weren't allowed to plant anything that year. And if anything did happen to grow there, it was to be given to the poor or to let animals to use it. And then secondly, it says, and we'll cancel all debts. It was a time of grace. That seventh year, if there was an outstanding debt, they were to put people above money and to cancel the debt, that it would show a time of rest for people who were burdened. <laughs> you know, there's great power in that. One last one, uh, which is in verses 32 through 39, support for God's work. And um, Verse 39 sums it up pretty well here. As it talks about, we will not neglect the house of our God. Very end of the chapter. But let's just kind of march through here uh, real quick. Because there's uh, it covers a series here in these verses of impressive promises. To talk about the support for God's work. Uh, first, it was responsible giving. Look at verses 32 and 35. He says, we assume the responsibility Verse 35, we also assume responsibility. So they weren't looking for somebody else to give. They were saying, I must give. It must come from my heart. It must come from my wallet. It must come from my purse. It, you know, I'm not looking for someone else to, to carry the burden. It's my job. Secondly, it was obedient giving. Um, notice here in verse 32, he talks about carrying out the commands Commands were carried out in obedience. And then in verses 34 and 36, it says, written in the law. So it gives the point that they knew from God's word that obedience meant to give. And they were following the truth of God that had been given to them clearly. Third, it was systematic giving. It wasn't haphazard. Notice verse 32. In verse 32, it says, um, to give a third of a shackle each year for the service of the house of our God. So each year they were to give a third of a shekel. Then in verse 34, we read that there were cats. Uh, ca they casted lots to determine when each of our families is to bring the house of our God. At set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar. So there were lots that were cast and they, to determine when they would bring that offering. And then in verse 35, we're talks about first fruits. That we're not just to give leftovers. We're to give of the best that we have to God. And that, that that's important. It matters to God. Uh, so it's systematic. In 1 Corinthians 16.2 in the New Testament, we read about the church. It says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. 
So we're called to give. That's where we meet, we give to him. Fourth, uh, it was proportionate giving. In verse 34, it talks about a wood offering. There were some people who just didn't have anything. But it was necessary for the offering that there was wood to put on the fire for the offering. That wasn't a matter of how much you had because you could go outside and you could find some wood, some kindling that you could put up on the altar. So it was a command that was given for those who seemed to have nothing, but they could bring in wood to put on the altar as a means of sacrifice. So that even those who appeared to have nothing, the very poor were able to give. Uh, some other examples um, in sacrificial system. Those who couldn't afford the cost of a young bull or a male goat or lamb, they could bring two young doves or two young pigeons. Um, then there it mentions a flower offering. It wasn't how much you brought. It, it was your heart in the giving. It was the spirit of the giving. It, it, it can be a, a different amount, but the same sacrifice. Because the sacrifice comes from the heart. As, as the scriptures unfold. Um, fifth, it was sacrificial giving. Uh, notice in verse 35 here, it says, We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. Like I said, it wasn't leftovers. It was first fruits, which means it cost you something. Something you, it was hard to let go of. <laughs> that was the idea here in in giving. Um as the scripture unfolds, C.S. Lewis had talked about the importance of uh, it being something he didn't want to let go of in order to give. So there's great value in that and in sharing from his work and, and in giving. The importance of sharing. Uh, so to go over these um, vows, submission to God's word. That... We give to him our lives so that we fall in line with him. So that our lives match up to his word. And a vow of separation from the world. This is not our home. This is not the place that's to mark our lives. We belong to him. We're part of the family of God. His spirit lives within us. And so the spirit of this world is not to mark us. But we're to be marked by God's presence. And the Sabbath for God's people. That there's a time that we can set aside to focus upon God. To let him know we love him. And to be with his people. And that's what the Sabbath's about. And to rest. And, and, and instead of just going constantly. To set that time aside for rest. And then to support God's work. Which is so critical and so important. That we give ourselves to his work. Um, it's important that we're dedicated to him. Let's pray. Lord. Uh, as we've looked at. These vows that were set before your people. The vows weren't something that the people did to impress you. But Father, rather they heard your word and they were broken because they were so far from where they needed to be. And the result of that, Lord, was that you, you cut them to the quick. You convicted them. And they began to cry. And I love it, though, that, Father, your, your people, your leaders said, now's not the time to cry. Now's the time to celebrate that God has opened your eyes and that you can go a new path and you can find new life and that you can be encouraged. <laughs> what wonderful words, Lord. And, and it was out of that, God, that celebration that they said, you know, 
I have so much to be thankful for because God is not out to give me freezer burn like that chicken, but he's out to give me life. And Father, I thank you for that. And It's no different today for us. When we start looking at your word and we look at our lives, sometimes it hurts because we're not where we should be. But thank you, Lord, that you say, well, it's okay. Not Your sin's not okay, but I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to turn you my direction. Thank you for that, Lord. And so, Father, grab a hold of our hearts and may we turn to you and say, Lord, I'm doing this not, not to get something from you, but because I have gotten something from you, your very life at Calvary. How do I repay that? And may that, Lord, move our lives, God. And as we think of being moved in the coming days, Father, as, as Bill and Gilda will come and share with us, prepare our hearts, God. Just move. Refresh us by your power. And Lord, as a friend of mine likes to say, I want to pray selfish for a minute. God, just fall upon my heart now. Father, do something here that can only be explained by you. We need it. Father, at this time, what do you want, Lord? In this time, we call invitation. As we stand, as we sing, do we need to come pray at the altar? Do we need to make some commitment? What do we need to do? Whatever it may be, Lord, may we listen to your spirit and do it. In Christ's name we pray.